Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Carla Christman has 50 years of lived experience as a person who is neurodiverse. She is a mother of two neurodiverse children and a grandmother of two neurodiverse grandsons. She has also worked in the social service field for 20 years. Carla said that she had meetings with CYSN policymakers and believed that she was being heard. But now she is angry. She says, and I quote, these changes will be devastating for my family. I have had to fight for the services we currently have, and now we are threatened to have them taken away. I am very capable of managing my family's support services. Individualized funding enables us to have a choice about service providers we know our children best, end quote. Will the minister listen to Carla and reverse her decision to claw back support? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and um, I appreciate the question from the member, and I do understand the concerns that families have, but I heard a lot uh, yesterday from the members op opposite and today about how families have struggled to put together a package of care for their children and youth. Families shouldn't have to be the ones who have to struggle for years, wait for a diagnosis and put that package together. Our government is here to support families, and that's what we will be doing. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Well, with due respect to the Minister, it's not about families having to. Significant difference, and that's part of the problem here. It's that parents want to. And in fact, they're capable of doing exactly the things they have been doing for years to ensure that their children are well supported. The Minister wants to change that. Yesterday, she basically said in this House that government knows better than parents. And what parents are saying... Members, maybe read answer. Members, let's let's hear the question, please. Or actually, listen to your own minister. Let's hear the question. I would suggest that members opposite might want to open their email boxes and read the stories of parents who said exactly that about the answers that were given in this house yesterday. Carla also said that her family believes that the behaviors in her grandchildren have a reason and that they're not bad. She values what neurodiverse people bring to the table. And she has chosen therapy that fits within their cultural values and traditional Aboriginal parenting. She said, and I quote, my family has had three generations of trauma. And as an Aboriginal grandma, we contend with the historical trauma. This MCFD framework is very patronizing. And it fails to recognize the strength that families bring to the table. I am very capable of managing my grandson's autism programs." End quote. It's not that parents have to do this. It's that parents want to do this. And it is that parents across British Columbia are begging this minister to reconsider her clawback and allow them to continue to design the programs that will best support their children. Will she do that today? Minister. 
Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I understand that parents are experts in the lives of their children and their families. But when the pandemic hit, we saw that so many services just stopped and those families were abandoned. They had no services that they had, the, of the packages of care they had put together. There was no way for government to help. We, under the new framework, will be building a public system that will create a safety net and will be supporting all, all families with neurodiverse children. Members, Indigenous families, families where there's a single mum who's working two jobs who can't put a package together. Families who have English as a second language, who tell us that, it, that they're struggling. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, with all due respect to the Minister, I don't believe that hub services would have been available during the pandemic either. So I've heard that as a, as a reason, which does not make sense. Um, yesterday, the Minister said Members. that parents... Yesterday, the Minister said that parents, quote, don't have the capacity or the time to manage services, and with the individualized funding, there was no accountability, end quote. Parents are watching and are outraged. Corinne Heisler says, and I quote, I have three children, two with autism. They are my priority and I deserve to have choice. Parents like me want choice. How dare you insinuate that I am not capable of managing their home teams and am not accountable for the services they receive, end quote. Will the minister listen to parents like Corinne and reverse her decision to claw back individualized funding? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I understand that parents are experts in the lives of their children and families. But what happened when the pandemic hit was that those services were no longer available for those families. Government services continued to function. We have social workers who continue to do those services. Members, under, under individualized mem members, order. Member will come to order now. You have a next question? Minister, take your seat, please. will continue. Speaker, there was no way for government to help those families. There was no safety net. There was no public system. Under the new framework, it will be possible for government to continue supporting those families, even in times uh, of a global pandemic. And through the new system, families will co-create the care plan for their child mm. and youth. They will be working with support to be able to make sure the needs of their child and youth are met. Yeah. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, and again, with respect to the Minister, I know firsthand that those government services supporting young people with autism ended. They were government services ended during the pandemic. Heather and Ray Harrison watch the minister's answers yesterday mr speaker this is what they had to say and i quote i want to correct the minister 
Most of us want to manage our kids' service providers. I don't begrudge the minister offering an option for families who want this, but I am vehemently opposed to having my right to decide on the treatment and therapies of my own children taken away from me against my will." Unquote. No one is saying not to expand services, not to support children with FASD, with Down syndrome. They're saying don't destroy what already exists. Will the minister respect parents' choice and stop this clawback? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, I want to make sure that children and youth with support needs get the services that they need. That's what's important. Our government is making choices of investing in services for children and youth, as opposed to the other side that gutted my ministry, Honourable Speaker. So many parents tell me that their children are forced to wait for years because they have to wait for a diagnosis to unlock services. Children can't wait. We're going to build a system that responds to the needs of children um, earlier. So children with autism will continue to receive services, their families will be supported through this transition. And children with other diagnoses and other needs will also get services, um, and they've been locked out of the system. And children with autism will no longer have to wait for a diagnosis, they will get services earlier. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. In the last year, parents in Canada gave their kids more than $10 billion in down payment help. On average, parents gave $82,000 to help their kids buy a house, but fewer than 30% of first-time homebuyers got this help. It's a lot of money. I know that every parent would want to help their child if they could, especially in a housing market as out of reach as BC's, where it can take 35 years to save for a down payment. But not all parents have access to the same resources, and BC's housing crisis is exacerbating the inequality. We treat housing as an investment, as a commodity, so once you're in the market, it pays back in dividends. Those with well-off parents are likely to benefit from their, their parents' wealth, but those without family wealth are priced out of the home market. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Attorney General and Minister of Housing. Does this government have a stance on the role and impact of intergenerational wealth in the housing market? Minister of Finance. Thank you very much, Thank you very much uh, Mr. Speaker, and uh, I appreciate the member's, the member's question. In addressing affordability here in British Columbia, particularly when it comes to the housing market, it continues to be a priority for our government. Uh, we've uh, taken significant steps in our first few years uh, in, in government to bring stability to the housing market. We've had some positive results. Certainly, we've seen uh, through the pandemic uh, increased volatility in the market. Uh, and that's why, Honourable Speaker, uh, one of the things we did uh, after our re-election was to invest $2 billion in the housing hub to bring affordable um, home ownership uh, to there. That's a significant investment that's on top of the 30,000 homes that are already either open or uh, under development or, or being built. That's a significant investment in, in housing affordability. There's certainly much more for us to do, and we're eager to continue doing that work. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for listing these things, but it hasn't actually answered the question that I asked. It's great that some families are able to help their kids out, but the reality is it is 
It isn't an option for many British Columbians. Racialized British Columbians, for example, tend to earn less, are less likely to receive income from capital gains and investments, and are more likely to be housing disadvantaged. We lack race-based data, and I know government is currently holding an engagement period on that, but even without the data, it's not a stretch to infer that BC's overblown housing market, intergenerational wealth is a key factor, and racialized British Columbians are being left behind. Through you, again, Honourable Speaker, to the Attorney General and Minister of Housing, what does he believe government's role is in addressing the impacts of intergenerational wealth and systemic racism in the housing market? Minister. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, uh, and I appreciate the member's question, and, and she said we are gathering the data to better understand how to address uh, the situation, and I know that the member appreciates good data, and so that work is being undertaken. But I want to I uh, provide uh, members of the House with, with an example of how the Housing Hub is working. Um, Morgan is a 27-year-old, works in nonprofit, uh, and uh, uh, has a university degree, stable income, a partner, has some savings. Uh, owning a home was just um, actually very, very difficult for her and her partner. Uh, and last summer, uh, Morgan found a partnership with BC Housing and Char Development that would match buyers uh, some form of down payment uh, on a pre-sale condo. And as part of the housing hub, uh, with support, I was able to uh, get more support for uh, the other part of the down payment. And you know what that meant for her, Mr. Speaker? It meant that the down payment matching program changed everything for her. And this is a quote. She said, I couldn't believe it. The 10% down payment was suddenly possible, and it was amazing to think that my partner and I could really own a home in a city that we love right here in Victoria. She's excited and grateful for the opportunity, and she and her partner will be moving into their condo in 2023. Member for City White Rock. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let's be clear. If you were a parent of a child with Down syndrome, if you are a parent of a child with FASD, and if you are a parent of a child with dyslexia, you want your child to have support. No parent or this opposition is against more support for our children. Down syndrome BC, really? Down syndrome BC calls the minister's announcement a slap in the face. And I quote, MCFD is proposing another version of top-down support services in which families often receive lower standards of care and long wait lists. We know from experience this type of model does not work. Will this minister do the right thing and end this clawback? Minister of Children and Family Development. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, uh, thank you to the member for the question. I know uh, from talking to very many families across the whole of the province that actually this change can't come soon enough that our families with children with neurodiverse needs and other support needs who have not been able to access services. Of course, they want to do the best for their children and it's, it's a patchwork of programs that's very difficult for them to navigate and services in many parts of the province simply aren't there. We hear from um, families where, who, where English is a second language, indigenous families, families living remotely, there aren't the services for them to be able to support their children and youth. And, honourable speaker, this sector, uh, this, this important area of need in our province was underinvested for so many years. And our government, since 2017, has been making investments in every single budget, which is a demonstration of our commitment 
to children and families who need our services. And I think of the many families who I know who have come and spoken to me and who have said, this change cannot come fast enough. Member for Surrey White Rock Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, we've heard from parents too. And what they've said is that clawing back support is not a way forward for the children and youth of BC. Kathy McMillan, founding member of Dyslexia BC, says the dyslexia community does not feel included in this minister's plans. Tamara Taggart of Down Syndrome BC says, and I quote, instead of providing adequate funding from the start, the ministry makes families in the disability community compete against each other and fight for access to any support. End quote. Will the minister support all children and stop her clawback? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Our commitment is to support all children and youth who need services in the province of British Columbia. Having worked in the field for 30 years myself, Honourable Speaker, I know that delivering services through a multidisciplinary team is, a, is the best quality approach for successful outcomes for children and youth. We know that that collaborative process, bringing together lots of different uh, expertise and perspectives to work with families and work with families and co-create that care plan is a way that's going to support those children and youth and create uh, successful outcomes for them. When I was working in community, uh, Honourable Speaker, here in British Columbia for over a decade, I just saw cutbacks and cutbacks in my community and I'm actually uh, at now um, able to vision that there will be services for all children and youth in British Columbia. Member for Fraser Nicola. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We've stood in this House day after day sharing stories, not our words, but the words of parents who are absolutely distraught. Yesterday, one of our members shared a very personal story from a parent who lives in Surrey Newton. Families who have worked tirelessly for their children and have had their world turned upside down are watching the heckling and the yelling from government members as we share their personal stories. Bring it on. Members. This is what parent Kay Benes says, and I quote, I was greatly dismayed to hear the MLAs who were heckling the member for Richmond Centre while she was reading the plight of a mother. The hecklers do not realize how demeaning and demoralizing for the parent, a mother, to hear this, as this was their voice, their message to the minister that was being lost and dismissed by people who are supposed to represent us." End quote. Will the minister listen to families and stop this claw back. Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. 
Um, and thank you to the member for the question. We will be listening to families. We have been listening to families. I hear from families every day, Honourable Speaker, and for 30 years I've worked with, with vulnerable families as well. We will continue to be listening to families as we develop the framework and the implementation of the framework. Um, and we're delivering uh, this new service um, in two areas as early implementation sites and we'll be listening to families receiving those services and incorporating their feedback as we move forward. But honorable speaker, uh, we've seen not only with the pandemic, but we've been hearing from families for years that the existing services are just a patchwork. They're difficult to navigate. And in many parts of the province, services aren't available. And we saw with the pandemic that they're just, they're just gone uh, in, in times of a, of a pandemic. Honorable Speaker, we've also heard from the representative for children and youth, and she's been listening to families. She's brought their voices, not just uh, families where uh, their children, for example, have a diagnosis of autism, but families where their children have a diagnosis of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder as well, and families with other neurodiverse children too. And the Legislative Committee on Children and Youth also listened to families, and we've heard the recommendations from that committee as well. Our commitment is to be putting children and youth at the centre and wrapping services with families around them, and that's what we'll be doing in the new system. Member for Fraser Nicholas, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The minister suggests that government services continue during the pandemic. And here is what parent Heather Harrison wants the minister to know. And I quote, these service providers did their absolute best under terrible and unprecedented circumstances during the pandemic. They were working under strict guidelines from the government to not be physically with other people. These small owner, business owners worked tirelessly to continue to provide any support possible so that our children were not left feeling abandoned. I'd like to know why the minister is disparaging these providers who were doing their best for our children." End quote. The right thing for the minister to do today is to stand up, acknowledge the distress she's caused, and reverse this clawback. Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Well, Honourable Speaker, we heard from very many families during the pandemic. Uh, that their support systems actually were no longer available. We implemented emergency measures to be able to support families with uh, children and youth with support needs. One of the things that families told us was that they wanted more flexibility with respite. Um, and so we provided that honorable speaker. So for example, uh, a family told me that they, they used the funds to buy a freezer because then that meant that they didn't have to go to the grocery store so often. And that took a burden off them and meant they had more quality family time together. Another family paid for housekeeping, again, so that the, the parent could spend more quality time as a mum uh, with her family and not burdened by the stress and strain of running a family and having uh, children and youth with support needs. Honourable Speaker, we've actually made that change permanent as well. And what we're doing with building a, a new system is, is we're creating a public system that parents can access with no barriers. They'll be able to walk into a centre, 
be connected immediately um, with a key worker and work as a family in partnership with the uh, services that are available to create a package of care that meets the unique needs of their child and youth and their family. A range of services could be mental health services, occupational therapy, speech therapy. And we're, what we're creating, Honourable Speaker, is a safety net because we are committed Thank to you. the health and well-being of children and youth in this province. Member for Peace River North. Uh, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Yesterday, the Minister and today, the Minister is trying to tell everybody that the clawbacks will make things better. But families from across the province, and you've all heard, all of us in this room have heard the same emails that it is going to make things worse. This is what Joel says, and I quote The Minister's answers are simply not good enough. Our daughter is severely autistic. As a family in the North, we've put a tremendous amount of time and personal resources to create a community of therapy support. Families in Gitwangak, Fort Nelson, Anaheim Lake and McBride shouldn't be forced to travel yet further distances to access the resources that they desperately need." End quote. Can the minister tell Joel why she's clawing back his child's services and making it harder to get new ones? Mister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, I hear again today about the struggles that families are facing from other members on the, on the other side. But that's the, that's the model of individualised funding. It creates that struggle for families. In a public system, in a public system... Members, earlier we heard Member for Fraser Nicola making a point about heckling from the other side. Now it's happening from the other side. Let's apply the same standard to both sides, okay? Minister will continue. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Our government has shown our commitment to children and youth by increases in the budget for my ministry every year since 2017. We increased uh, funding for respite for children and youth with support needs by over $6 million in 2019. <laughs> Budget 2021 included a $13 million increase for children and youth. That included $2 million extra for programs for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. That was the first increase in those programs in over 10 years, Honourable Speaker. We're also investing $10 million in the at-home program. That's for children's equipment so that they can have, a, have a, a, a regular daily life with their family. So braces, for example, um, adapted uh, beds, for example, so that they have a good quality of family life, Honourable Speaker. And this is, uh, Honourable Speaker, I will say, in comparison to when I was delivering services when the other side were in government and we were seeing cutbacks across my community. Opposition House Leader. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the minister may want to characterize it as a patchwork of care. Parents consider that individualized care for each of their child's special circumstances that they need to get the proper care they need to properly support their child. And that is what they want to see continue on. Families and experts are worried about lining up at hub centres just like they have to line up at walk-in clinics currently. 
Wanda Eddy of the Chris Rose Therapy Centre for Autism says, and I quote, if we're looking at a hub, is everyone going to have access to them? Somebody in a smaller community can get services in that smaller community. Now if you're going to a hub, what does that mean in terms of travelling and those kinds of things? End quote. As we just heard, communities in northern BC and in the interior have very long distances to try to drive to get to a hub, not exactly conducive when you have a child that maybe doesn't like to travel very easily. When it comes to parents with children with special needs, that is the last thing they want to see. There is already a shortage of trained specialists. This is going to exasperate that issue. When will the minister end this clawback and provide the proper supports to families that they need? Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I do understand the challenges that are faced in, in different parts of the province and how difficult it can be to access services, and that's why we're going to be implementing the framework. Uh, and and it'll be the services will be delivered in ways in the community, by the community, uh, with knowledge of the community and could in involve a range of methods of delivering services, not just a, a centre, but also satellite services, virtual services and outreach services as well. Because we've heard from families that we know that it's difficult for them to travel to get to see um, specialist services. And so we are listening to families. We'll continue to listen to families and, uh, and design the services with the community, understanding the community and in response to the community and one of the early implementation sites is in the north so that we will be able to test that system. Yes. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Perhaps the minister should maybe go up north and try driving the 10 hours it might take people to go from one community to get to the hub, which will undoubtedly be in Prince George, or Prince Rupert. <laughs> and then try to do that with a child on the autism uh, spectrum. It's simply not workable. Nor is thinking that every child in that situation could sit on a Zoom call appropriately. And here's a news flash for the Minister. Most of those communities don't have the bar, uh, bandwidth to actually go on Zoom to get treatment for their children. So again, families and experts are worried about this new system pitting parents against each other because there's a shortage of services already. No one is saying that other children should not get the care they need. What the parents with kids with autism are saying is that those kids shouldn't have their system blown up to add extra capacity to the system. When will this minister end this ridiculous clawback and actually start providing the proper supports to people that they need for their children and their families? Minister. Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, for far too long, parents have been telling our ministry that it's a patchwork of programming out there, that services aren't available, and they're not able to get the services for their children and youth with neurodiverse needs across the province. And they tell us that they have to wait for too long for a diagnosis for their children. Children in British Columbia deserve services at the time that their parents are concerned about them as early as possible to be able to help them develop uh, from as, as early an age as possible. We need to move to a needs-based approach. We've been told that by families, by advocates, 
by community agencies, by service providers, the representative for children and youth, and many, many others. Indeed, uh, yeah, the member for Vancouver, um, for Vancouver uh, West, um, Capilano, has also um, expressed agreement with a needs-based system. So we will uh, continue to deliver services based on a needs-based system. We have early implementation areas that we will be evaluating that will inform our provincial rollout. And at the end of the day, Honourable Speaker, more children will receive services, all children will receive services based on their individual and unique needs. Yeah. The balance, the question period.